For our scripture reading this morning, let's turn to the book of Genesis and to Genesis chapter 3. We're going to begin reading in Genesis 3 at verse 7, and then we will read through chapter 4, verse 2. So we're beginning to read in Genesis chapter 3. In verse 7, what has happened is that Adam and Eve have now eaten of the forbidden tree. And this is the aftermath. We are told in verse 7, Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman... And then she also blames Satan for what happened. So we can have a negative perception of her. But we need to stop there. We need to realize, wait a minute here. Eve, too, is a child of God. She is an elect child of God. She was chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. She, too, is a monument of grace. The Apostle Paul talked about how he was sort of like a sketch in God's art gallery of grace. Well, guess what? So is Eve, our first mother. And so we have to remember that she, too, is a saint, a child of God, and our first mother. And so this morning on Mother's Day, we celebrate our first mother, Eve. That's what Adam named her. Genesis chapter 3, though, begins on a very, very negative note. It's the story of how Satan, in the form of a serpent, seduces Eve so that she eats of the forbidden fruit. And then she goes and she tempts Adam, and he eats too, and the result is that suddenly they know they have rebelled against God and they sense that they are naked. They are covered with guilt and shame. And so they go and hide. It's the cool of the day when God comes and God meets with them, and so God seeks them out. 
And our first mother is hiding there in the garden, and God comes seeking her and her husband out. Where are you? And Adam pipes up and tells why he is hiding. And God might have come in judgment. After all, he had threatened that. He said, the day that you eat of that forbidden fruit, you shall surely die. And God could have come, and he could have executed Adam and Eve, and we never would have been born. But instead, of course, it's a story of God searching and seeking out our first father and mother and establishing them with them a covenant of grace and reconciliation. And he comes with the good news that this woman, who has been called up until this point, Isha, will actually be a mother. And from her seed will come. Jesus, the greatest, greatest child ever born. The title of my sermon is Adam Naming Our First Mother Eve. We'll look at the meaning of that. Secondly, his motivation, why he named her that. And then finally, the encouragement. We're told in Genesis chapter 3, verse 20, The man called his wife's name Eve. Now the question is, how does that all fit into the context? Right before that, we have God speaking. We have God cursing the serpent. And then we have God giving basically his judgment, his chastisement of the man and the woman. And then then suddenly, as if out of the blue sort of, we have... This in our text. And the question is, why is this inserted here? What's the connection of Genesis 3, verse 20, and what comes before it? Moses has been inspired up until now to write about the fall and the consequences of it. And then suddenly we have this. Uh, Moses writes, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he says, The man called his wife's name Eve. So it's a, striking, it's a striking moment. Adam has heard what God has pronounced about Satan and about him. He's going to work now painfully. He's going to sweat as he labors. It's going to be painful toil. His wife is also going to give birth with pangs and pain. And then he says this. We're told, well, he named his wife. He gave her a very significant name. He gives her a personal name. Up until this point, Eve has been called some different things. So, for example, if you turn back to Genesis 2 and look at verse 
wonder. That's the marvel, being within the covenant of grace, is that God's blessing rests upon us. That's his wish that all kinds of good things would be showered upon us, all the blessings of the covenant. It's true that Eve's sorrows would be greatly multiplied in childbearing. In verse 16, at the beginning, he said, he calls you to be a wife, he calls you to be a wife, then he also calls you to be a mother. Now, those are very important callings. We can talk about the importance of the calling to be a wife, but notice here, God's chastisement falls upon Eve with respect to the fact that she will be a mother. The very heart of what be is involved in being a mother that is giving birth or now is going to be pain and hurt. Now, man too, notice, he is called to be a cultural creature, to work, have dominion over the creation. And it's right there in his calling and in his job that he's going to have pain and it's going to work by the sweat of his brow. But so does with the wife. There will be increase in trouble and everything having to do with children. And then children will be born in sin. Now, it's true that some of you mothers perhaps had it that when you went to the hospital to give birth, that you could have some type of medical procedure so that when you were actually were in labor, you didn't even feel it. With my wife, one time we went to the hospital and we were there too late for them to do that. And boy, it's rough to be a husband and a new father in a hospital room. Of course, the wife, the mother, has it far worse. And even though medical science can get rid of some of the pain of giving birth, there's still pain and sorrow and difficulty in child rearing. It's not like once you give birth, but her son doesn't turn out to be a savior. Her first son turns out to be a murderer. And if you've lost a child, remember. She lost her second child. Notice how she does become an object of sympathy, doesn't she? This covenant mother went through hard times. She also learned then not to idolize her kids, but to worship her creator and him alone and find her fullest satisfaction in him. You know, don't idolize your kids no, worship the one true and living God who is supreme over life and supreme over all things and who is your Savior. Now, the first thing that motivated Adam to name his wife Eve was then the fact that she would have kids. But there's more to the story. He is motivated to name her Eve because she will also be the mother of a coming Savior who in the mother promise is called the seed of the woman. God's speaking to Satan. It's striking that he's talking to Satan when he tells the gospel news for the first time. In verse 15, he says, I will put enmity between you, that is you, Satan, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. There we have the good news of the gospel mentioned for the first time. Here we have the revelation of the covenant of grace. Here we find that there will be a seed, an offspring. Here is where we be learned that someday a virgin will give birth to a little baby whose name is Emmanuel. Well, Adam, he hears that and he believes this fresh and new promise of God. And so he calls his wife Eve because she will be the mother of all living and she will be the mother of this great seed, this offspring to come who will crush the head of the snake. 
as he hangs on the cross and as he returns in his second coming victoriously and will hurl the great red dragon into the lake of fire. It is interesting that when Eve gave birth for the first time to baby Cain, that some people have thought that she thought that the Messiah was born already. That's why, I don't know if you've heard this before, but there are people who have said that when she says, as we have recorded in chapter 4, verse 1, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Some people have thought it was like she was saying, I've got him, here he is. And if you have some very unused Bible translations, you will find that there are translations out there that say things like this for Genesis 4, verse 1. Like, I have brought forth a man, even Jehovah. So there are translations out there, and some people have argued for this, the idea that Eve, when she gives birth to Cain, she thinks, oh, this, this baby boy that's been born, he actually is the divine savior. Now, the reason people have done that is that there is a Hebrew word, just a very little short Hebrew word here, and the Hebrew word can be used sometimes to mean the. Other times, it's a preposition, which can mean like with or by or something like that, or from. And so some people have said, well, because that word can mean the, in chapter 4, verse 1, what Eve is saying is, I have gotten a man with the help, or I have gotten a man... And then after that, just the or even Jehovah. Now, I think there's problems with that. One problem is that there's no evidence that she knew that the coming Savior would be divine. Now, the coming Savior would be Jehovah God incarnate, the Son of God incarnate. But it's not clear she knew that. And the other thing is that that little Hebrew word can have the sense of a preposition, like from. And that probably is the correct interpretation here. So our translation is correct when it says, Now, Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. So then what she is saying is simply this. She's saying that, yeah, the Lord is the source of this little baby. He is the one who caused this little baby to be conceived. And that's what every covenant mother says. She says, yes, this baby I have is a gift from the Lord. He knitted this little baby in my womb. So she didn't give birth to the Messiah, although one of her descendants would. And the Messiah would come through her third-born son, Seth. And isn't it great, you know, that even though, yes, in childbirth, it is tough. And if you have hard labor and you had a difficult pregnancy and sciatic nerves problems and you can hardly lay in bed, isn't it great that it's true what Jesus said? Jesus said this, When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Also, the Apostle Paul talks about how God blesses believing women in the way of giving birth. He says in 1 Timothy 2, verse 15, Yet she will be saved through childbearing, if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. In the Old Testament, there were certain people who were from the line of Abraham and then from the tribe of Judah. 
And then from the line of David, who realized that, wow, from our lineage, the Messiah could come. But for covenant mothers today, guess what? You give birth, and your mothers, hoping in the promises of God, the great covenant of grace, where God doesn't just establish his covenant of grace with adult believers, but with believers and their seed. God says, I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And so for Adam and for his wife, garments of skins and clothed them. We celebrate this morning the marvelous wonder that, yes, our mothers are imperfect, or they were imperfect. Our mothers, too, were born and conceived. And look at your first mother. There she is, leaving the Garden of Eden, but she's not naked. She is clothed. The Lord actually killed an animal or some animals and took the skins of these animals, animal skins, and he clothed them. God is the first one ever to make clothes that were nice and suitable, that covered them well. Yeah, they had tried to get some fig leaves and tried to cover themselves, but it really wasn't adequate. God now clothes them with animal skins, which means that he sacrificed an animal. And think about that. You know, you and I are used to seeing animals die. Had Adam and Eve ever seen an animal die? And the answer is no. There was no death before the fall with living creatures like this. So this is stunning. An innocent animal has its blood shed. Because Christ, you see, has shed his blood for our covenant mothers. And now Eve is clothed with this animal skin, a picture of the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the white robe that clothes our covenant mothers. All their guilt is taken away. They now have the imputed righteousness of Christ, and they are just through faith alone. Because the Messiah has come, and he was the great sacrifice, and he has appeased God's wrath against our sin. So we celebrate Eve. Our first mother has one who was justified by faith alone, apart from works. And it's true, you know, that in this story, they are expelled from the garden. God talks about how he doesn't want Adam and Eve to eat of the tree of life any longer. And so in verse 23, we're told, Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. Verse 24 says, He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Some prison artists are right now painting this scene here of a mighty angel with a flaming sword guarding the way back into the garden of Eden. And of course, it's a sad consequence of sin and the fall that our first father and mother are driven out from the presence of God. God doesn't want them to live in the garden that he created for them or eat of the tree of life lest they live forever. No, they must go out. They, they must die. They begin to age. They will live a long time, but they're beginning to age. But they must not live in the garden anymore. So they're expelled. But it's interesting that God doesn't just destroy the Garden of Eden initially. There it stands. There it remains. For how long, we don't know. But there it was as a reminder. And you know what it's a reminder of? It's a type of the heavenly Canaan. And some of you have covenant mothers who have already slept in Jesus Christ. 
And guess where they are? They are in the heavenly paradise. They are in the true Canaan. They're in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and all their loved ones who have beat them there. And so that old paradise was a picture of paradise regained, what our future holds for us and where our covenant mothers are walking. And so children, guess what? As your mom is walking on the journey through this fallen world on her way to the heavenly city, guess what? She's taking you by her hand, isn't she? And she's training you and she's teaching you. She's saying to you, little lambs, believe in Jesus like I do. So little children, walk with your mom to the heavenly Canaan. And when we arrive there, then all trouble will be over. Mothers will have no more pain because the Bible says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. So don't just have a negative view of Eve. Yes, she did give in to the devil's temptation, but she is a sketch in God's art gallery of grace. She is the first woman in history who was justified by the blood of the lamb, and she's a monument of grace. And you know what? It will be a joy, won't it, to meet her personally in paradise. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we praise you for the great grace you have shown to our covenant mothers. And we pray that that same grace would be poured out in generations. So bless our little lambs. We pray that our little children will be born again to life in Christ in their very tenderest of years. We thank you, O oh God, for how you show mercy to us and families, too. We thank you so much for covenant families where dad and mom and children together praise Christ and want to worship you, the one true and glorious God. Grant us peace and blessing and tranquility in our families. For Christ's sake, amen.